My name is Ed Moore. Before I say anything else, though, how cool it was Friday night to be sitting in the stands and hear the announcement at the Anthony Wayne football game that the Redemption Church was going to be uh, playing all the pizza after the game to all the players. What a wonderful, wonderful outreach to, uh, to the community. I just, it's really, really touched my heart in a real, real special way. But today, uh, filling in for Pastor Stephen, and uh, by the way, if, if you want to hear an encouraging message, you really need to listen to last Sunday's message, or be here next Sunday. <laughs> Just want to pause to thank my lovely wife, Joan, over here to the left. Uh, we, uh, she's here. And then my daughter-in-law, Marissa, right here next to her. And... Uh, my little pride and joy, a little caboose, uh, Julia. Up here, Julia, give us one of these, honey. Okay, all right. I'll hear about that tomorrow. And then our youngest son, Stephen. Uh, our oldest son, Paul, and his wife, Linda, and all our grandkids were in the first service, and so they've joined us here in the second service. Joan and I, uh, we uh, stepped away a year ago uh, from, uh, from pastoral ministries uh, of 50 years, and uh, we... Uh, uh, came here to Toledo because our sons both work here and our daughters-in-laws, they, they, it's a long story, so I won't go into all the details of how they met and so forth, but they've been here now 20 plus years. Uh, and uh, so they came over to Indiana where we were pastoring and it had been for the last 38 years. Um, it was a privilege, I was privileged, it was an honor for me to come back home in 1983. That's my hometown, Shelbyville, Indiana, to pastor my home church. And just something that doesn't happen to just everybody. Had the honor of having over 100 family members who had come through our church through that time. Some had been saved, and most of them now are in glory. Uh, just a great joy it was for us to be, to be the pastor of my mom and dad, to be the pastor of my aunts and uncles, all my brothers and sisters, and second, third, and fourth, and fifth cousins. I had a wonderful, wonderful experience in Indiana. But Joan and I uh, just celebrated 50 years of marriage. We just came off a tour. And, uh, but the boys, they, they landed here, they landed here about 20 plus years ago. Steve and Marissa and the kids are faithful members and really engaged at Westgate Chapel Church. Our oldest son, Paul, and his wife and all of his kids are very involved at Monclova Road Baptist Church. And it was Linda, uh, my sister-in-law, who, uh, a sister-in-law, of course, my daughter-in-law, she was the one who suggested when we moved here a year ago that uh, there was a new church. Uh, getting started over here. She didn't know perhaps at the time you guys already started uh, a long time ago back at the uh, or several years ago back at the theater But they were moving into a new uh, uh, this church and moving into this facility and she said you might want to check it out It's called Redemption Church. So we went online and checked it out. And so uh, we did and uh, So anyway, anyway long story short. We've been here a little over a year now We came July of 2021. Is that right there? And then the moment we came in, we sat right back over here to my left, to your right, and uh, we sat on the same row with uh, Cammie and Brian. Uh, shout out for Cammie and Brian. And then we sat with uh, Ann and Ray. Uh, and uh, if, you, if, you're not, if, if you don't like sitting next to a cheerleader, you don't want to sit next to Ann, okay? Because she's the church cheerleader. And I said this morning, Ann, if there were chandeliers, you'd be hanging from them every Sunday. So <laughs> praise God for you, sweetheart. Love you. And they opened up their hearts and opened up their homes to us. 
and uh, brought us into their lives, and we are so, so thankful. And our very first Sunday, we met, we met uh, Steve, uh, Steve Whitlow, the pastor's bro- uh, brother, the pastor's father, and uh, what a joy it was that he would uh, engage and talk with us at length about who we were and what we did and so forth, and then just uh, brought us into his heart, and so did the pastor as well and his wife, and uh, just so, so many people. Uh, Frank and Nancy and, and Tom and Angie came to our home several months ago and, and prayed for us, and um, that, was, uh, that was a very special moment. We were kind of in the process at that time of transitioning, needing some healing, uh, just needing some, some direction and guidance in our life, and they just, uh, God just used their lives and used their praying and their love for us to help us in, on our journey. So been here about a year and a half, but again, the boys, they, they thought, mom and dad, it's time for you to really, really consider uh, your next stage in life, you know, to get and in, be more involved in the grandkids' life, but really, really what it was, it was really for their convenience, not so much for our convenience, okay? <laughs> and so they thought, you know, there's a brand new addition opening up over on Monclova, uh, Waterville, it's called Rutherford Estates, building some new homes, it'd be a great place, why don't you come check it out? And the McCarthy Builders, because they're Marissa's mother and father, also were here in the first service, and they just moved here as well. So we got two sets of, of grandparents here together. And uh, anyway, it's wonderful. So we checked it out, and we thought, yeah, this, this, this is a good, this is a good place. And so we, we, we bought some property and got the house built. It took about a year, so we moved in. And then it dawned on us, huh? Paul is in White House. Well, he's, he's Waterville. And Stephen is over here in Monclova. And going on our way to Kroger's, there is Story Point. Story Point. That's convalescent, okay? <laughs> and they have the assisted living out front, and then they have the nursing home next to it. And then right behind Story Point is memory care. <laughs> and then if you travel a little further, you get, to the nur- you get from the nursing home to the funeral home. So I realized what the idea was. So they're going to take us from Rutherford Estates to the Story Point, right to the funeral, making an easy transition for the boys. We figured that out, guys. We got it all figured out. So you got to get up early in the morning, pulling over dad's eyes and mom's eyes. But anyway, we love you guys. We love you. Thank you for being here this morning and uh, and all of you. And and Mike and Connie, wow, what a joy it is to uh, uh, Mike... uh, Mike invites me to, uh, to, to meetings. Uh, he really, after he met me, he thought, this guy really needs help, so I go to recovery meetings with him quite often. So anyway, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's really a trip. Uh, Mike gets to sit in a room with me, and he gets to hear me confess all my sins. So um, anyway, but that stays in the room, right, Mike? Okay, all right. So uh, what a blessing. And the church, wow, the church was just so... I don't know how I could describe it. They're just so, so uh, all of you were so opening, uh, so accepting and loving to us. And uh, as soon as, well, not as soon, several weeks after we'd been here, Stephen invited me in to come to be a part of a Monday morning Bible study group. The ladies invited Joan to be a part of a Tuesday group. We got involved in Angie's uh, group on Wednesday nights. And man, that was an incredible study on, on the Beatitudes. Um, she hit me between the eyes every Sunday or every, every Wednesday night. It was just, uh, the Lord was just doing some good surgery on our hearts. So anyway, even though, even though, and this is something we, we've come to, to grips with, even though we have been privileged to be 50 years in pastoral ministry, starting in Florida four years, and we were in Alabama, Huntsville for eight years, and then back home in Indiana for 38 years, um, you're still on the drawing board. 
Our lives are still in need of change and conformity, and because we're just, as Mike knows, we're just all a mess, aren't we? Uh, we're, 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 we're all an accident looking for a place to happen, but by the grace of God, who, uh, who keeps us on the straight and narrow and, 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 and helps us and walks us through life situations. So anyway, that's kind of where we are. Let me make sure I didn't miss anybody or anything in my notes here. Uh, and uh, all right. Today, uh, I've come to, to, to share with you, it's kind of a lesson, it's not really a sermon. This being the Labor Day weekend, I wanted to talk to you about something that you really didn't come to church to hear, and that's work. Oh, oh I wonder if I could slip out right now. <laughs> work. Uh, let's, put a, let's put a theology around this whole matter of work. You know, work is mentioned over 800 times in the Bible, so you think it's important? Um, and, and you don't usually find people on both ends. You find people that either love it or they loathe it. Uh, for instance, in, in, the, in 1959, 6061, as a kid, it was all in black and white at the beginning. But uh, one of my favorite shows was the, uh, the Love Life of Dobie Gillis. That really goes back a long way, doesn't it? How many remember Dobie Gillis? No other great, just a few gray hairs. Okay, wonderful. Well, Dobie Gillis was this young man. He hated to work, but he had, a, he had a friend whose name was Maynard G. Krebs, right over here. Okay, Maynard G. Krebs. Maynard was the forerunner. He was a beatnik. He was a forerunner to the hippie movement of the later 60s. And you remember what would happen anytime somebody mentioned the word work. What happened? He would work. His, his, the volume, of the, 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 his, he would go three octaves higher. Work. And then he would exit stage left. He despised work. And so people either embrace the Maynard G. Krebs idea of work in that, ah, I hate going to work. In fact, the latest studies is that 70% of Americans say that they do not enjoy their work. They, uh, if they could get another job, they would. Uh, and among that 70%, 50% of the 70% say they hate their work. So only 30% of Americans really feel comfortable about work. And as all of you know, uh, COVID really messed up a lot, of, a lot of things about our work situation. But people either love it or they loathe it. They, 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 they loathe it like Maynard G. Krebs, or they love their work. They're among the 30% that love their work. In 1937, there was a movie that came out by Disney uh, a film by the, by the title of Snow White and the... Now we're getting more of the, 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 the more modern crowd here. I mean, the, you guys are kind of into this one. So, you remember when Snow White would take her broom? You remember? And she would, and, and all her little friends, and she would say, now let us whistle while we... You remember? <laughs> and can you help me with this? <laughs> there we go, right there, Okay. Whistle while we work. And so they were just whistling away. And then, then, then later in the, in the movie, uh, the, the Seven Dwarfs, uh, they, they wanted to get in on the act. And so they, they gave us this beautiful song that little children sang for, for years. It was called, Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's we go. Hi-ho, 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 hi-ho. All right, that's our invitation. You're dismissed. All right. <laughs> so, the high hope. But now the, the, 21st, the 21st century version, 21st century version. 
I O, I O, so off to work I go. <laughs> a little different today. Everybody's in debt. But you know, COVID, uh, you know, it, it, it changed many ways how that we, we work and how that we now think about work. It disrupted the work cycle. And uh, back when Stephen was preaching his series on uh, Satan Hates Genesis, he quoted a recent study, and I wrote it down. He said that any amount of free time over three hours consistently, three hours a day consistently, if you consistently are idle for three hours a day, it will lead to depression. And so that stands the reason why so many of our young people especially our kids, uh, teenagers and middle school kids that were, that were battling with anxiety and depression because they just had nothing to do. So the old saying is, idleness is the devil's what? Workshop. So it's important that we stay busy. Now, when I say the word revival, when I say the word revival, probably one of the last places you're going to think of is work. But you remember last Sunday, and I really got stirred up, and many of you did, when Pastor Stephen read the account of the first great awakening and then the second great awakening. And you remember the story of the second great awakening? Just give you a little update on that if you weren't here last Sunday. A young man, a young businessman by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere, who lived in New York during a time of enormous crisis. What was happening in the United States, Dred Scott had just come down from the Supreme Court by a vote of seven to two that Africans could not and their descendants take up citizenship in this country. It divided the church, it divided the nation. And on top of that, in the the late summer, early fall of 1957, there was a stock market crash in New York. People were leaving New York by the droves. Some historians say up to 30,000 people a week were leaving New York. Churches were emptied. Businesses were emptied. And Jeremiah Lamphere had a burden to pray. And so he put together a flyer, passed it all over central New York. He was calling for a prayer meeting on Fulton Street at a Dutch Reformed church in one of the rooms off the side of the auditorium. And he put out thousands of, of letters, or thousands of flyers. And on that day, September the 23rd, 1857, he went to the Dutch Reformed Church and sat down and waited. 12.30 passed, nobody came. 12.45, six people walked in. Six businessmen walked in to that meeting. And they prayed. By the end of two weeks, there were 20. By the end of three weeks, there were 40. And then the rest is history. Within six months, 10,000 businessmen were praying daily for revival in New York City. In New York. By 1859, the mighty spirit of prayer and the spirit of God descended upon the entire nation, the United States of America. And within two years, over two million people were swept into the kingdom. It is unknown how many people were praying, but it's estimated up nearly a half a million people were on their knees praying from coast to coast. One man traveling from Omaha to New York remarked, he said, the whole nation is a prayer meeting without any 
human organization without any revival campaigns, people are getting saved and the nation is being revived and restored. Now, as at Redemption Church, we have, in my opinion, I think the very best pastor in the entire city. Brother Pastor Stephen is, is, is in my, it, 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 he's tops. He's tops. And I'm glad he's my pastor. And there are other, there are other pastors that are wonderful pastors. It's just, it just, I'm just a little prejudiced. Uh, and we have, I think, I think as far as in our community and probably even the state of Ohio, we've got the very best of this. Great music. I mean, how many musicians... Is that, did I say that right? I say magician. How many musicians are there in this church? Every week or somebody up there says, who are you? Well, I play the, you know, if they, if they would just invite me up, I do play the mean spoons. I can do that really, really good. Some of you don't even want the spoons are. But anyway, uh, so, uh, but the, the, it, wonderful. I mean, great music. And wow, love like no other. Uh, just an incredible audience, incredible atmosphere. But just remember, at Pentecost, they had none of this. And the Spirit of God did His work. The businessman revival of 1857 through 1860 had none of this. But they had God. And that made all the difference. So when you think of the word revival, when you think of the word spiritual awakening that covers the entire nation, the last place you're going to think of is your workplace. It's like, ah. But that's what happened. The Holy Spirit came into factories. The Holy Spirit came into businesses. The Holy Spirit came into offices. And people came under the spell of God's power and conviction and salvation. There was no preacher. There was no praise music. There wasn't even an invitation to an altar call. People were being converted. And you see, when that happens, who gets all the glory? Because <laughs> God only and, and alone can do such a work like that. Billy Graham, as many of you know, passed away just a few years ago. But before he died, he made this proclamation. I'm not going to say prediction, but he said that he would not be surprised if the next major move of God in this country would not come through the workforce. And by the way, we are seeing stirrings even right now what God is doing in places that we would least think that God would want to work and that is in the marketplace of America. Dr. Henry Blackaby, who was the, the, the past president of the North American, not the North American Mission Board, excuse me, of the, of the revival and spiritual awakening board of the Southern Baptist Convention. He is, now, he is now developing, and has been now since 2015, curriculum. Curriculum for owners, curriculum for employers, curriculum for CEOs to disciple their people in the scriptures and in prayer. There is a movement going on in our nation and ladies and gentlemen, beloved, these could be, I mean, I know there are times we, we are tempted to think about the good old days, but these may be the greatest days to be alive. Because I believe, and maybe some of you do too, the best revival is yet to come. And I love Bible prophecy, and, I, and I'm longing for the coming of Jesus. 
But maybe Jesus is going to tell us, oh, I want the Holy Spirit to come one more time before I come. Wouldn't it be exciting? I'd like to be a part of that. And I know so would you. So, today's message is simply this. T-G-I-M. Oh, wait, wait, no, that's not right. It's supposed to be T-G-I-F. T-G-I, T-G-I Friday. No, 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 no. We're going to change that. I want us today to say, thank God it's Monday. Monday. (laughs) Let's get excited about Mondays. Let's go to work on Mondays and think, perhaps today God's going to show up here. Charles Finney, in the revival that happened just after the wave of the 1859, as he was doing meetings in and around the United States, you can read the story of how that just on one occasion he walked into a factory, and walking into the factory, God began to move in the hearts of men and women. God began to stir, he began to save. In Ireland, at a shipyard, on on just a normal day, God stepped in and began to save those workers. And you can, you can read accounts of how God shows up in some of the most unusual places. And so let's thank God for Monday because perhaps on Monday we're going to see God do something that's mighty in our eyes. We have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what work you did in their days in the time of old. But Lord, we want to see again your mighty arm. For the eyes of the Lord look to and fro over the earth, that he might show himself strong to those whose hearts are perfect toward him. And a perfect heart is not a sinless heart. A perfect heart is a trusting heart, a believing heart, a heart full of faith. So thank God it's Monday. Now, when I say mission field, sometimes the last place you think of would be at work. And when I say the word worship, what comes to your mind? Well, commonly, the last word that you would think is associated with worship would be work. But we're going to see that that is not true. They are one in the same. We'll see that in just a moment. So, thank God, it's Monday. 80% of all the Bible characters came from the workplace. 132 public appearances of Christ in the gospel. 122 of those appearances were in the workplace. Don't tell me Jesus is not concerned about the workplace. Jesus taught 52 parables in the four gospels. 45 of his 52 parables in the context were in the context of the workplace. The book of Acts that we're studying has recorded 40 various different miracles. 39 of the 40 miracles took place, you've got it, where? In the workplace. God is concerned about where you work. God is concerned about the workplace. Thank God it's Monday. But we've got to deal with some distortions. And one of those distortions, number one, is this. Work is the result of the curse of sin due to the fall of man. True or false? False. It's a distortion. Work is what God assigned to all of us in Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.15 to work. Work has dignity. Work has purpose. Meaning, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. 
So work is God's idea. And we are created in God's image. And since we're created in God's image, then we are wired to work because God works. So work is good. So we, we worked before the fall. Genesis 2.15 was before the fall. We continue to work after the fall, and even though that work is difficult and sometimes disappointing, but we continue to work after the fall. And then as you read the book of Isaiah, especially Isaiah 65, 66, about the, the, new, the new heaven and the new earth. You know what Isaiah puts in, in, into uh, our new heaven and the experience of new heaven and new earth? He puts in the word work. And then you read in the book of Revelation, when we all come together into the new Jerusalem, when heaven and earth merge together in this place that we're all going to live forever in the new Jerusalem, you know what we're going to do in the new Jerusalem? We're going to work. So why not talk about work today? I'm just trying to soften the blow just a little bit and make it a little more attractive. Work. Work is God's gift to us. Ecclesiastes 5.19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions. How many of you are happy that, how many are thankful? Let me just put it this way. How many are thankful that God is not against people being wealthy and having possessions? I'm glad that there are some people that are, that, are, that are rich. Yeah. Are you clapping because of me or are you clapping? Okay, okay, all right. Because I'm rich? Okay, all right. <laughs> so, no. Uh, but, we're, but, but it's, it's, not, it's, not the, it's not the possessions and the wealth, it's, it's that the wealth and the possessions do not have us. There's nothing wrong with having them as long as they don't take possession of us. So he says, well, give, I'm giving you wealth, I've given you possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in your toil or your work. This is the gift of God. Wow. Wow. So work is is something that we're going to be doing all the way through eternity. Number two, distortion number two. Work has no inherent value. By the way, I don't know, I mean, since we're off Mondays, right? Everybody's off Mondays, so I got 14 points. I hope you're going to willing to stay with me. Is that okay? No, I'll, I've only got just a few. All right, just a few. I just got five, five points. Distortion number two, work has no inherent value. That not true. In other words, there's this idea that God, God is not interested in what I do. He, 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 it's just a means to an end. It's a way to provide for my family. It's a way to put a roof over my head, put some food on the table. It's, it's just a way to pay the bills. It's, it's just a necessary evil. I mean, it's about the paycheck and then, then maybe the pension that will come with it. It's pretty much our idea. Not everyone, but Many see work as simply a means to an end. But God has much, much more. He is redeeming the, 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 the true value of work and the true purpose of work. Work is an is essential part of our design and a means through which God is redeeming and restoring all things. God is restoring work to its original intent. And we'll see his original intent in just a moment. And the gospel is the good news of Christ restoring all things to their God-honoring Purpose. Now, I have a passage of Scripture I want you to think about today, because you think about this passage as something that you would do in church. But think about work when you read these words from Jesus. And the answer said, now you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. How many of you have ever heard a sermon somewhere in, in your journey? How many have ever heard a sermon about loving God with all your heart? All right, okay. Some of the people over here hear sermons. I guess some of you here don't even hear sermons. Okay, all right. Is, 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 that, a, is that something that's common that we hear? Yeah. But I, I, I can tell you on one hand how many times I have ever heard a sermon on how to love God with your strength and with your mind. 
I've never preached on, here's how, here, here are seven ways to love God with your mind. With your heart, yeah, I got that one. I've preached that one. But loving God with your mind and loving God with your strength? But think about it. Where is your strength most needed? Where is your strength most engaged? At work. Where is your mind most needed? Where is your ener- the energies of your mind most focused? It's at where? It's at work. So you can love God yeah, with all your heart and all your soul, but you can love him when you go to work. You can say, God, I'm loving you today by exerting my strength and by giving you my mind because the work I do is necessary because even though I don't see any eternal value in this work, it is important to you because you watch what I'm doing. And even though it doesn't seem to be very important, all work is of God. All work is important. You say, well, all I do is I I just clean. I'm just a cleaning person. Did you know if things don't stay clean, you know what happens to people? They die. How important is to be clean? How important do you think, well, all I do is just fix things. You know, if we don't have people that know how to fix things, you know what happens to a nation? What happens to a nation? You have guys like Tom that can keep, keep, keep vehicles running. What happens? It shuts down. God is for human flourishing. God, he is the author of human flourishing. And so everybody's job has value. Everybody's job has purpose. So God is redeeming, bringing it back to its original purpose. Not only when he saved us. Yes, he he is a saving God. He's rescuing God. He's redeeming, restoring God. But that means in all things, even our work. So distortion number two. There's no inherent value in work. Yes, there is. There's a great deal of inherent value in work. Uh, Next verse, look at this, Titus 2, 9 and 10. Oh, time is running away from here. Titus 2, 9 and 10. Bond service, which is another way of saying employees, employees, putting it in, putting in the modern vernacular. Employees, now you're to be submissive to your masters in everything, for they are to be well-pleasing. Don't be argumentative. Don't be pilfering. In other words, keep your hand out of the petty cash and, and show good faith that in everything they may and what is this next word? This is kind of unusual being in the Bible. The, the word is what? Can you say it with me? The word is adorn. Adorn? Adorn. It, it's kosme. K-O-S-M-E. Kosme. It's where we get the English word cosmetics. In other words, make the gospel, make the doctrines of God beautiful. Bring symmetry. Now, my wife, she's, and, 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 and your, 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 your partner, Joan, um, Janelle, you, you guys, you, guys you, wear, you wear these, the, the clothing, and then you got, you got the bling that kind of goes along with it. And it's always perfect. The colors are always perfect. So in other words, when you go to work, put your bling on and make the gospel appealing. Make it attractive. Make it beautiful. And we do have a beautiful gospel. 
A gospel of full redemption, a gospel of saving, rescuing, restoring. We have a gospel that Christ has granted to us full forgiveness. How about that? How about a gospel that grants to us not only forgiveness, but full acceptance and a God who loves us unconditionally and gives us a hope, a great hope. I mean, look at the, look at the features of the gospel. It's attractive. Make it attractive. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring attractiveness wherever you go. Make it beautiful. You know, you, you, you've heard this. And I know you know it's true because the only Jesus that many people will ever see is the Jesus where? In you and in me. The only Bible that some people ever read is the Bible they read from you. That's why Paul said you are a living epistle. An epistle? The, the, the epistles that you know, the, the epistles were not the wives of the apostles. <laughs> the epistles were the writings of the fathers, the church fathers. And Paul said in the epistles, in Timothy, he said, you are living epistles. Living epistles. You're, in other words, you're living demonstrations of the Bible, the Word of God, known and read of all men. So what Bible... Are they understanding through your life? The only Jesus people will ever see, the only Bible many people will ever read. Distortion number three. Work is divided between the secular and the sacred. Work only matters if it's, if it's, if it's sacred work, like at the church or some kind of spiritual work. All other work is considered secular. Wrong. Well, the only people that really do Christian work are pastors and staff and missionaries. Wrong. Wrong. When, uh, well, during the years of being home in Indiana, uh, I would be asked, on a, not, fre not frequently, but on occasion, someone would approach me and would ask about my son Stephen or my son Paul, and they would say, you know, Ed, uh, why didn't either of your sons follow you into full-time Christian service. And I think, you know, here it is. We got this distortion going. Uh, let me remind you, as you read the Bible, and you do have a Bible and you can read it, everybody is in full-time Christian service. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, you are in full-time Christian service. Life is one seamless act of devotion to God. Everything is sacred to God. Because all of life, listen, all of life is worship. Here's the problem. We use this, departmental, this, this compartmentalization. It, it, it comes from the Greeks as it infiltrated the early church. I have a little illustration here I want to use. It infiltrated the, the church back in the days of the apostles. It came through, uh, they called it a, the, 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 the Greek dualism. Some of it was a part of Gnosticism. But what it basically did, it simply taught this. It taught that life is compartmentalized. That's kind of a cheap little play here, but you, you get, you, you'll, you'll get the picture. Um, you see, it, some people, how many of you, how many of you today, how many of you are people who, when you eat, you don't want your food touching? Okay. 
not the first service, there was hardly anybody. <laughs> so there's a few in this service. So let me see if this second service is like the first. How many of you don't care if everything is touching? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So you know what these people think of these people? They think you need psychiatric help. <laughs> Big time. Nobody should ever eat through their food when it's touching each other. Now, I know what some of you do. Some of you, you just don't like it touching. You like to do this with it, right? Huh? Right. I mean, you like to get it all mingled up, messed up there. And so, so tied up, tangled up, all of my food. But anyway, so but the, the, compartmentalizing. It was called a false dichotomy, and it, it crept into the church, and it was called Greek dualism. To where life is compartmentalized. And the gospel came to destroy this. The gospel came to say, no, all of life is connected. Everything is connected. Going back to Moses in the Old Testament. Every bush is a burning bush. All ground is holy ground. Oh, that's so difficult for us to grasp. You mean when I walk on the grounds where I work, it's holy ground? It is before God. You mean when I walk into school, that's holy ground? It is before God. And you can adapt the same mindset. That this is God's place. This is a place where I can worship. This is a place where I can serve. And I can be adorning the gospel of grace. So, those of you who raised your hand in the second know that you are closer to the Lord than those who didn't raise their hand again. You're far more spiritual. No. Truth. In Christ, there is no divide between the sacred and the secular. Can anybody say amen right there? Amen. All right. No divide. All ground, holy ground. In Christ, there is no divide between worship and work. In Christ, there is no division. There is no divide between Sunday and and Monday. Paul addressed that in Romans 14. You have these holy days, and you have these holy days, but I want you to know every day, every day. And when we sang the song this morning, do you believe the first song? The song was, this is the day that the Lord All days. All days. Sunday through Saturday. Our days, we have opportunities to worship Christ. So, this secular dualism came with this idea that there are holy people and then there are common people. In other words, in the vernacular today, we say, this is clergy, and these are laity. In the gospel, that does not exist. We are all children of God, and we're all called in ministry together. All of us, no matter what you do. So, there's holy work, which is what we do here at church, or when we go out as a church and minister in the community, there's holy work. And then there's secular work. That's my job. Oh, there are holy places, like this church is a holy place, or other parachurch organizations, those are holy places, but all other places in the world, they're just common places. And then there are holy days, like Sunday, it's the holy day, but Saturday, Monday to Saturday, those are just common days. Well, if that's what you believe, then you have swallowed the lie of compartmentalizing your life and this false teaching of dualism. And again, the gospel of Jesus Christ came to destroy that. 
the apostles came to destroy. And one way they did, and I'm going to have a testimony here in just a moment, uh, that you're going to hear from one of our men. Uh, Brother, Brother Frank is going to come and share a testimony. So Frank, I'm going to go ahead and give you the microphone right now. Did you move back a row? I thought you was in the second row this morning. Okay. I think Phil took your seat there. Okay. Let, let me explain this word, and then I'll, I'll tur- I want to turn you loose, okay, for a testimony. All right. Now, can you put the word? Give me the Hebrew word up there. Give, give me the Hebrew word. Is it up there? Okay. Here's how it's pronounced. Avadah. Now, you say, I, I, I've, never, I've never, ever spoke Hebrew. Well, everybody's going to speak Hebrew today. All right? Let's all stay together. Ready? Avadah. One more time. Avadah. All right. Avadah. It is a word that's used in Genesis 2.15. We said, I'm not going to go back to it. Genesis 2.15. God said, I want you to work the ground. Work it. I want you to keep it. I want you to work it. Avadah. In the book of Exodus, Moses told Pharaoh, I'm going to take the people out so that they can worship the Lord. What is the word that Moses uses? He uses the word Avadah. Avadah is used by Avadah is used by Moses to refer to sacrificing for the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Joshua used Avadah when he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Avadah. Avadah is one word meaning work in the ground, being a laborer, toiling with your hands and your mind and your strength. Avadah also means worshiping God, bringing sacrifices. Avadah also means serving. It's all one word. Why? Because God sees one seamless thread through all of life. Because all of life is worship. Avadah. Now, before I read the next passage in Colossians 2, 22 and 23, Frank's going to set, set, set up my next passage. Go ahead, Brother Frank. Listen to this testimony. It just, it's on. It's on. <laughs> um, well... Ed and I were praying this morning, and he shared a little bit about his message, and there was something that uh, really clicked in my mind about uh, my life and my workplace. Uh, I spent 50, around 50 years in the construction materials business. I was a sales manager for uh, ready-mix concrete and also uh, aggregates. And I would say approximately the first 30 years, and the last 10 years of that, uh, actually before then, uh, my wife and I became Christians. But my, I'm a conqueror type person. I work and I work and I work, and I'm going to conquer whatever it is. Uh, I will be successful, was my own motto. And I worked under my own strength. And, uh, but I, it was the kind of work that is work. And I didn't really enjoy it all that much. And about the last 15 years of my work, uh, coming closer and closer to God, I realized that I was really working for God. It's, it's something changed in me as to what is my success? What is real success? And I came to the understanding that this company pays me, but working for God, he wants me to be successful his way. And he did that uh, to the point where 
I got to the point where I would actually go to customers and tell them, you don't have to pay me, but I'm working for you. Your success is what I'm after, not mine. And God just took that. And not only did he um, bless me in so many different ways, but he did it through relationships in the company. Uh, once a year, we would have a, uh, an annual uh, meeting to, oh, for an awards meeting for all the employees in the whole state of, of Ohio, all of our companies. And they asked me, Frank, would you be willing to give a blessing and, uh, you know, to pray? And I'm going to end with this. You talk about how God prepares you through the whole, the whole ordeal. Towards the end of my employment, uh, there was this one gentleman who was an estimator for a company that no matter what I did, as far as my quotes to him, I never got a job from him. I knew that my price even was the best price because I, I would find that out through other people that I quoted. And uh, that went on for like three, four years, and I would guess that it probably amounted to maybe close to $5 million worth of work. And I uh, kind of let it go. In the last year or so, I just, when his name would come up bidding the job, I wouldn't even quote him because it didn't matter. I'm in a restaurant uh, one night uh, after work with another customer, and I get a tap on my shoulder, and it's this gentleman, and he says, Frank, can I talk to you? I said, yes, I got up and followed him over, and he said, I have to tell you something. I said, what's that? He said, every time you quoted me a price, I called your competition and gave them your price. And then they lowered it and gave me the better price every time. And he said, I just have to tell you that. And uh, I put my arm around him and told him, I forgive you, it's okay. And you could just see the, his whole attitude and everything changed. And I only say that because that is the Holy Spirit which allowed me to represent God who I was really working for. So I just thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Which brings us to our passage, and we'll wrap this up really, really quick. To be in the Lord's work, you don't have to change jobs. You just have to change who you work for. Colossians 3, 23. Bond servants, in other words, employ, employees, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, when they're looking on, as men pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatsoever you do, do heartily as for the Lord, not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your word, for you are serving the 
Lord four times. That's who your boss is. You just give it over to the Lord. You say, well, you don't know my boss. Well, 1 Peter 2.18 tells us about even those who are not easy to work for. Servants, employees, be subject to your masters with all respect, not just to the good and the gentle, but to also the unjust. That means the crooked, the harsh, the cruel, the unreasonable. For this is a gracious thing when, when mindful of God that you would endure sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it? In other words, you're punished and you endure that. But when you do good, you're lied about, you're set up, you don't get to promotion. Things just go haywire uh, at work and, and you, you take the fall. You, you, were, you, were, you were blamed for it. Uh, when you do good and then you end up suffering for it. It's a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Um, just want to give you just one little illustration here. Uh, and and uh, Oh, well, that's where my pen went to. I was looking for my pen earlier. Okay. All right. And my keys. I don't know what happened to my keys. So little light switch right here. Little light switch. Okay. Uh, Jesus said, now, when you worship me, I want you to worship me in spirit and in what? Truth. So here you have, you got, you got, two, you got two terminals, uh, one ground, one power. You turn it on, you get light. Jesus said, when you worship me, I want you to keep the light on, be the light of the world. Keep the light on, keep the switch on all the time. Stay grounded in the word and stay Filled with the Spirit, truth and Spirit, keep the light on. Don't ever let your light go off. Keep it on all the time. You say, well, but that's not a holy place. No, keep your light on. Not just in church places, but in all places. Listen, here is what happens. It happens so many times. On Sunday, we are people of faith. On Sunday, our lips are singing His praise. And then on Monday, we become atheists. We go from people of faith to atheist. Just like that. We just like block God out. I'm back into my secular space. I got my life compartmentalized. A.W. Tozer, sobering words. If you are not worshiping on Monday the way you did on Sunday, perhaps you're not worshiping him at all. Monday worship at work is the evidence that Sunday worship at church was really real. Is your worship real? Well, you can sing praises, and I love singing praises, but this is where the rubber meets the road, that you stay grounded and you stay empowered. That's how it works. I have other distortions. I didn't really have time to give them to you. Number four, filling of the... i just, just throw them up. The filling of the Spirit is for those in ministry, just for personal growth, but not for the workforce. Oh, you need to read this passage, Exodus 31, 3 through 5. You need to read this about a gentleman, by the, which most people don't know this guy's name. Bezalel. Not one of the most common words in the Bible. Bezalel. Bezalel was filled with the Spirit so that he would have the ability and intelligence and knowledge and craftsmanship and device and artistic design with gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones and settings and carved wood and every good craft. Sounds like a laborer to me. Sounds like somebody in construction maybe and maybe a clothing designer. Hey, God fills those kind of people too. 
Number five. This is the last one. It will be really short, I promise. Don't rush. Really? Okay. All right. Can you, uh, can you walk me out the side door here? When, okay, all right. <laughs> Work is where you derive your true identity and security. Wrong. Only in Christ do we discover our true identity and our true security. It's not based upon what we achieve. It's based on what we receive. We work not to establish our identity, but to express it. I just want to share, a very, it'll be a very brief testimony of what my wife and I uh, walked through and the church, the people who prayed for us, prayed over us, Tom and Trish, <clears throat> Frank and Nancy, Angie and Tom and others. Uh, we struggled with our identity big time. We didn't realize it because I, I've got files I got files in my, in my cabinet of sermons that I preached in different churches and different places on knowing your true identity in Christ. But listen, you can study it, you can think you understand it and know it, and yet not experience it. But we had an identity crisis when we moved here. Um, I felt aimless, I felt purposeless, I, I felt hopeless. I felt very afraid. I thought one night as I was laying down, I thought, I need to go back to church. I need to go back to Indiana. I need to go back right now. I need to go back to the officers, and I need to tell the whole church, I made a terrible mistake. I should have never left. I left too soon. This, 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 this emptiness, this sense of, of, of hopelessness has overwhelmed me. And my wife suffered not to the same degree, perhaps, but to some degree, we just lost ourselves in what we were to do and what our value and our work was to be from this point going forward. And one Sunday morning, it was right here in this church, as Stephen preached, and he, these were his exact words. Stop looking out here for your... No, excuse me. When you are looking out here for your purpose through your performance... To give your value some worth inside, you're looking in the wrong place. In other words, when you're looking things on the outside, like ministry and pastoring and church, looking on the outside to find value on the inside. And I realized that Sunday morning, I had wrapped my spiritual identity around my ministry. I had let ministry, and, and I shared this with you and Ray and with Brian and Cammie, that you guys prayed over us too in our, in our homes, that I just felt like the Lord had... In those early days, I felt like the Lord was no longer in my life. I just had this thing that you walked away from the church, you walked away from ministry, I'm walking away from you. You're never going to know my presence like you've known my presence these 50 You're just not going to know it anymore because, look, pal, you left. We're not in there. You're, you're still my child, but, but it's not going to be like it used to be. And it frightened me that I would never know God's presence and his intimate presence again. I'm done with you. You're done with me, I'm done with you. And all of this is Satan's lie. Stephen said these words, and it really perked my ears up because he used these two words, older people. And when he said older people, I just thought, ooh, that'd be me. I'm one of them. He said older people tend to run after purpose, to bring value to their lives. And so they say to themselves, listen to this, What value do I have? 
What value do I bring? I can't do what I used to do. I said, that's me. God, cut to my heart. Now that I'm out of the ministry, I feel less significant, less valuable to God and to the body of Christ and His kingdom work. And the Lord said, Ed, your ministry, the ministry, has replaced me. And you've given over to idolatry. Church is a good, church is a good thing, amen? It, and, and worship is, it, it, and, and ministry is, is God's gift to us. But gifts can become God's. Good can replace God and become God. And that's what happened in my life. I had no longer significance because I wasn't in ministry any longer. So I said, Lord, what am I going to do? He said, repent. Repent and just believe that you have value because, you know, I saved you and you're my child. Preaching or not preaching, you're still my child now and forever. And you know, when that happened on that Sunday morning and I was able to repent of my idolatry, I walked out of the church and over the course of the next few months, I could walk back into this church and it didn't matter whether I was ever up here ever again. And I really, it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter whether I ever am in front of people ever again in the rest of my life. I am happy in Jesus for the first time in my experience as a Christian since 50 years ago. I can be happy out there listening and I can be happy up here. It doesn't matter anymore because, well, we're his and he is ours. It's just a great place to be. <laughs> I, I, need to, I need to shut up. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's pray together. Let's pray together. Where's your identity today? Do you find your identity in security? In Christ, in Christ alone? Sometimes we never get to that point until we get to a crisis. And then it's really revealed what was really underneath it all. And, and, and what would it, redemption, what would it look like next Sunday if everybody kept the switch on all week. Oh, I can't even imagine. What would it look like next Sunday if all of us in this room and in the first service truly repented of these distorted ideas we have about compartmentalizing our life and just let Jesus have it all. He reigns and rules over it all. Give it to him. Like Frank shared, just put it in his hands. This business is yours. What would it look like here in our church if Jesus was truly the Lord who we sing about? Father, I just can't tell you today how thankful Joan and I are that, first of all, you weren't finished with us. Um, you had some good things you were going to do on the inside of us. We didn't even think we needed repaired, and yet they were broken inside of us. Thank you for revealing our brokenness and our neediness for you. And thank you for the things that you're teaching us. Lord, you know how pastors, we can get so full of pride. We think we know it all. We know, we know the take on that verse. We know the slant on that verse. And we know the insight on that passage. And, and Father, I, I'm realizing more and more, I don't think I know anything. But we know you. And you are all that is of worth and matter. And so today we come to you as an audience of one to tell you that we love you and we thank you that you're not finished with us, that you've got to work for all of us to do and that we need to leave this place and just thank God 
Monday's coming. In Jesus' name we pray and all the Lord's people can say. Amen. Let's say it one more time. Thank God it's because tomorrow we're all off work. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.